This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. This is the series that I've been looking for. This is what I want to find out a lot about my team. Because all during this time that we've been talking about, you know, look what Atlanta's done. They've cut down the lead. Oh, what are the Mets going to do? They're the same old Mets and all this stuff. There's nothing the Mets could do about what Atlanta was doing. All they could do is handle their own business and go out and win games, play as good as they can, give themselves a great effort, and win series. That's all you can do. Now, for the next three games, you are going to face Atlanta. This is where you handle your business. Okay, and it feels really good to start the series with Max Scherzer on the mound. Now, listen, Atlanta's got a formidable pitching staff as well, but it feels really good, really good to start this series with Max Scherzer on the mound. We'll talk about the Mets with Trevor Scales in the one o'clock hour. Then at two, we're going to head out to Las Vegas. Uh, Rod Boone. Contributor to the show, writes for the Charlotte Observer, has covered the New York Jets. That's where he and I were embedded together, along with Dennis Watson, a number of people that you've heard on the airwaves here on 98.7 ESPN, along with Vince Mania. A bunch of us were embedded with the Jets during the glory years. <laughs> the glory years of back-to-back Eastern, Eastern uh, um, AFC East championship games. That, that's the glory years for the Jets, right? 09 and 10. Well, Rod is in Vegas. And I want to get his thoughts on how some of these rookies are doing, what he's seen from a couple of the Nick players. Uh, I had the chance while on vacation to record and then watch uh, the Knicks' first game against Golden State. And I got to tell you, I like Jericho Sims. I do. I know he's undersized. I know he's not that. I know he's not that great a shooter. I get it. I like him. I like that he's worked hard on this game. I like that you've seen some muscle tone. He's been in the gym. For, ever since, since the season ended. Uh, his vertical is crazy. So we'll get uh, Rod Boone's thoughts on some of the players who are in the summer league, and we'll do that at 2 o'clock. So, and, of course, we invite you to join us, 1-800-919-3776. And also be a Twitter, at Hardest to ESPN, at ESPNNY, 98 underscore 7 FM. But I'm going to start with the New York Yankees. And the reason I'm going to start with the New York Yankees is uh, it, it was just ironic. It's ironic. It's ironic that the Yankees lose to a guy who scores the winning run named Jeter. (laughs) It just is. It had to be against Boston, right? It had to be that scenario. That the Yankees lose because Jeter scored the winning run to give Boston the 6-5 victory in 10. JPTB, nice job, guys. Writing that in there. Yeah, it does sound weird (laughs) because I was like, what? They made them as a what? But it was Jeter Downs that got his first career major league hit and RBI in the 10th to a walk-off off Wendy Peralta that helped Boston win the game. And it's so funny because when you read the Boston papers, you would think that now Boston is a half game behind the Yankees for the East. <laughs> you would think. And listen, I get it. I understand. Hey, we want now we're on a roll. We got we beat them. We showed we can beat them. Excuse me. Uh, I've been on vacation, but has Aaron Judge been in any of these games? I haven't seen Aaron Judge since before I went on vacation. I guess he took vacation too. <laughs> and and you just got Rizzo back last night. Who boy did you even though you've been winning games, he comes back and he's an immediate 
addition by getting some some hits and some and some RBI. So this Yankee ball club is still pretty good. All right, they're still good. And the interesting thing for me as we get closer to the trade deadline and the rumors circulating about who's who the Yankees going to trade for, what do they need? See, with the Mets, I know what the Mets need. The Mets need lefty, righty bullpen help. And even though I didn't think so, I'm beginning to think that they might need another bat. I'm beginning to think that. They might need another bat. Because I'm a little concerned with, you know, like I was looking at some stats and Peter Alonso was hitting like, hitting 083 on this homestand. So I need him to step it up. <laughs> okay. I need him to step it up for this series with Atlanta in Atlanta. I, I need him to, you know, rise to the occasion. But so I'm beginning to think that the Mets need another bat. For the Yankees, I know what they need. They need to find a way to find somebody to take Joey Gallo off their hands because Aaron Hicks is starting to produce a little bit. Aaron Hicks is starting to give you something at the bat and in the field. So clearly the one person who is been so disappointing has been Joey Gallo. And so you're hearing the Andrew Benintendi rumors circling with the, you know him leaving Kansas City and a prospect for Joey Gallo. So that seems to be the number one movement. And in speaking to a couple of Yankee fans, they like that. They would love Benintendi. Now, I don't know if he's the same Benintendi that was so good for Boston. I mean, from an average standpoint, he's not been. But once again, with the way baseball is today, nobody really discusses averages, right? Unless you're Joey Gallo <laughs> and your average is that bad. So in that case, that yeah, I understand that. Uh, interesting thing about the game yesterday was it's one of the, and dare I say this, but it was one of the very few, very few ineffective outings that Clay Holmes has had. And with concern around Araldus Chapman, who clearly is not in Aaron Boone's circle of trust, nor should he be at this point, maybe the Yankees will be in the mood at the All-Star break for another arm in the bullpen as well, even though I would say to you that the bullpen has clearly been a strength for them. There's no question it has. But as you get closer, maybe, and and the uncertainty about Chapman, because you just don't know what he's going to be. You didn't know what he was going to be before he got hurt, and since he's been back, you know, you have to give him some time to get himself back into, you know, pitching shape. But clearly, in the outing he had, he the outing, he's not look good. So if you're a Yankee fan, listen. I know it's Boston. I get it. I know you hate losing to them at all. You just want to sweep them out of existence. <laughs> Even though Tampa has been more of a pain in your butt uh, and the Jays have been a little irritant, I know that you never forget Boston. I get it. But the, And I know you hate to lose to them at all. But the fact that you lost to them last night, I realize after having a 5-3 lead, is a little concerning. But don't worry about it. It's just one game. You have a chance to wipe them out and take three out of four tonight. 
on Sunday Night Baseball. All right, let's go back to the phones. Danny's in Long Island. What's up, Danny? What's up? I'm about three miles into my five-mile hike, which is a beautiful day for a walk here in the Massachusetts Preserve. Bad news is I'm going to a 4 o'clock fully catered barbecue, so there's going to be some bad choices made later on during the day, so I might as well sweat it out now. It's called balance, Danny. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly right. (laughs) As far as the Yankees are concerned, just leave it, let it lie. They're 15 and a half up. Whatever they're doing is working. I don't see everybody panics after a loss. And with the Mets, you know, they didn't lose the 10 and a half game lead because they stopped playing. The Braves just refused to lose. And like I tell people, so it reminds me of like a basketball game where you're 14 points down or 15 points down, you put a lot of energy in, and you bring it down to two and three, and you think you get all the momentum, and boom, next thing, the reality of the situation and the odds and everything, and next thing you know, you're backed out by 10 again. So the odds are the Braves are going to cool off, and the Mets haven't had a 7-1 spurt in a while, so they're due to get a little hot. And, you know, and if the Braves keep playing that way, they're going to pass the Mets because there's nothing you can do about it. They're playing, they're playing an ungodly pace. Just keep winning. Just keep winning games. Take care of yourself. As far as the, as far as the, uh, the Hernandez ceremony, I thought it was nice. Well done. And, uh, and as far as the Hall of Fame talk, you know, I talked to the score, call screener. I said, you know, first baseman, if you're old enough to remember, there used to be like old outfielders that couldn't play first base anymore. Right. A lot of them were. It's kind of a hybrid position now where they never got any respect. And in the 70s, you had Garvey, then you had Hernandez and Mattingly. They were true first basemen. And they contributed offensively. But they were never the big boppers on the team, and somehow they get kind of overlooked. Well, like a guy like Joe Morgan, his offensive categories today wouldn't be much. But back in the day when defense was first, Joe Morgan's offensive category, uh, statistics were fantastic for a second baseman. They couldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't even be in the league today with those stats, but right. they, had, they had more respect for the defensive element of the game. A guy, a guy like Garvey, he was an MVP. When he retired, he was the major league leader in all time from the right hand side of the bat. With 200 hit seasons, Isn't that, crazy? that stat alone should put you into the Hall of Fame. But you just don't get any respect. No, you're right, Danny. Enjoy the walk, my friend, and the barbecue later. You you will have earned it. <laughs> Thanks for the call. It's true. And the other special thing about having Hernandez number retired here was it was while the Marlins were in town and Don Mattingly was sitting there observing it. So you had two of the greatest defensive first basemen who could really hit in the building at the same time. That, that's outstanding. It's outstanding. And it's true. I mean, Hernandez was a tremendous defensive first baseman and, and was a co-MVP, co-batting title. Won a batting title. So, you know, Keith is, Keith is, you know, nothing to sneeze at. He is a heck of a player. And it's, uh was a heck of a player. And just his attitude and what he brought to this Mets team as a, as a veteran, who had not won a championship but knew what it was to win and be on successful teams and had a winning culture in St. Louis. And what he brought to the Mets with the young the young players and the mixture of young and veterans was great. And it's unfortunate because while we acknowledge that team, how great that team was, that team underachieved. That team should have won more than one World Series. Not even a question about that. Have Should have won more than one World Series. But you know what? I'll take the one I got. Mark's in Newark. What's up, Mark? Larry, what's going on, brethren? How you doing, my friend? Oh, I'm doing good. It's a beautiful day out here today. A little hot, but a beautiful day. A um, couple things. 
Um, bro, I was just talking to you, uh, you, uh, you know, screener guy, and uh, yeah, it's always good to come in. And um, we were talking about uh, the, what the Mets are going to need by the trade deadline. Um, Larry, in 15, you know, I kept, I was preaching from high heaven. We're going to the World Series. We did, and I wanted a, I wanted a, a parade down the Canyon of Heroes, which I didn't get. I hate the Royals. But what I remember and how I was telling him, it was this time, just about this time in 15, when the Mets were doing the same thing that they're doing now. They were winning series, playing really good uh, fundamental baseball, and, and that's why the Mets are have the, I guess, best record or second-best record in the National League now, just mm-hmm. because of that. Then enter Uranus Cespedes. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the Mets bats. I mean, it, it's like we will be getting like five to six runs a game. It was just crazy. So I see this, Larry, the same thing. I think we got to go get a bat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And just basically do the same thing, play the same way we're playing, consistent fundamental baseball, and then get that guy that's going to turn one-run games into four-run games with one swing. I think we're missing that. It's the same formula. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you, Mark. Um, there's no question they need a bat. And I, I would like, just me, I would like another arm in the bullpen, preferably another lefty arm in the bullpen, but definitely a bat because it just looks as though that – the way they were scoring runs early, and I understand, and you know this from watching baseball as long as you have, you have peaks and valleys in the season. It's a long season. You go through streaks where you yeah. hit a bunch. You go through streaks where you don't. You go through streaks where a couple of guys hit and, and, and everybody doesn't. So you go through different streaks. But it just seems like right now that they're missing another consistent secondary bat behind Alonzo. I mean, Connor's been Your really good. Mind, right? Yeah, you know, Connor's <laughs> been really good, and there's been some other guys that have that have been okay. But that's what I think they need uh, to 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 you know back up their pitching. I got two more things. Go One ahead. thing is I don't know whether anybody noticed it or not, or I'm sure they have. But uh, what I come to expect from this next team, from a pitching standpoint, is ten strikeouts a game. Hmm. And uh, and the Mets have been on that pace pretty much all year without Degrom and Scherzer. Yeah, and uh, that part seems to be flying under the radar. When Tyron comes out, he expects himself to get at least ten Ks. He does. Yeah. When Carrasco comes out, he expects to get ten Ks. He does. Same with same with uh, Bassett. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm hearing that you know we need all these arms, but who we with Degrom and, and Scherzer back? And and that's still getting them that that uh that goal of ten Ks a game. Uh, it's hard to hit Mets pitching, bro. It just yeah. is. So yeah. the Braves, you know, I put a little post up. I said I put a little uh, meme up of Han Solo when he said, "Look, I prefer a good fight instead of all this sneaking around." You know, I, I feel like that with the Braves starting Monday. Look, I'm up with a sneaking around. Bring them on. Let's have a good fight and let's actually see who's playing better and who's who's the best for now. That's what it's about, Mark. You're absolutely right, my friend. Thanks for the phone call. That That's what it's about. It's about handling your business, okay? The Mets are going in to Atlanta. And this is not the same Atlanta team they faced early in the season. This is a different Atlanta team. Acknowledge. They're a hot Atlanta team. They've, they've come together. They've pitched well. And as um, one of the earlier callers mentioned, you know, they're playing great. There's nothing you can do about it. They will continue to play great. 
You don't worry about them until you face them. And now you face them and you handle your business. If you can get a, if you go in and take a series, take the series, win two out of three or three, that bodes confidence for you and gives them, takes them down a peg. Okay? That's what you can control. If they're going to control the, if they're hitting and if they're hitting and winning games like the Yankees are hitting and winning games, there's nothing you can do about that when when you don't face them. Just handle your business when you do. Isaac's in Houston. What's up, Isaac? What's up, man? How you doing? Great. Talk to me. Uh, so, huh? No, I didn't hear you. Talk to me. Oh, it's a good day right now in Texas. Hot but shiny. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I like the Yankees so far. How do you like the Yankees so far? I mean, I'm sure you like them because you've been able to handle your business against the Yankees and the Mets. Are you an Astros fan? Yes. All right. So so tell me about your Houston team. What makes them so good? Their offense is insane. They got Altuve, Jordan, got robbed in the All-Star game, but you know how it is. Um, their pitching is good, and they got good relievers. All right. So do you think uh, they're better than the Yankees, or do you think they got lucky against the Yankees? Nah, they're better. We should have swept them, but our relievers sold. So is that so? Oh. Is that a concern for you, Isaac? Your bullpen? Yeah, I'm concerned about the playoffs with our bullpen, mm-hmm. and they're going to lose games for us. That's what I'm concerned about. Yeah. Well, listen, I'll, I'll tell you this, and, and thanks for the phone call. Houston is, and I'll, I've said it before, and I'll say it again and again and again. I still don't understand why Houston felt the need to. Uh, Bend the rules," <laughs> he said with a his eyes crossed. Not even a wink. His eyes crossed. I mean, this team, that Houston team, was too talented to have to do to win the way they won, how they won. It's a talented ball club, it really is. And Altuve makes that team go, and the pitching is insane. Bullpen, you got some questions. You can get in. You can get to the bullpen, but the starters have been solid for them. The only thing I will say is if I were a Houston fan, I would be concerned usually, and you understand it with great teams, you're dominant at home and you try to go 500 on the road. When they play the Yankees, they just seem to be a little different at the stadium than they are in Houston. But otherwise, I think that's where all roads are leading. I think when we're, when it's starting to get a little chilly, I know, Larry, we just got to July. Can you relax? But I know when it starts to get a little chilly and we're looking at, we're talking football and whatnot and week four or five in the National Football League and we're starting to look at, you know, baseball playoffs in the American League, I think we're looking at Houston and the Yankees on the collision course. I really do. If all things equal the way they are right now, I think that's the way it's going. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Hardest Detail 3 on 98.7 ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. And let's head back to the phones. Let's talk to Anthony and Freehold. Hey, Ant, you're next on 98.7. Hey, Larry. Thanks for taking my call, man. You got it, partner. What's up? Um, so, first off, to that Houston caller's point, I'm not I'm not scared of Houston. I'm not worried. I really am not. I'm, I'm not. You know, the, I feel like the Yankees are overall a better team. Um I think that they, you know, didn't play well in the games that they played the Astros. You know, they found a way, way to win those two games. But, you know, at the end of the day, 
it counts when it gets to October, and I hate saying that, but we it's like you said, it's, we're on a collision course with with the Astros. Um, but to get to my Yankee point um, as well, uh, I I think they need to add a starting pitcher, and I think they need to obviously you know the Joey Gallo. It, it it's you know it's it's annoying at this point, you know, and I'm not I'm not here to complain. They're you know 37 games up above 500. That's insane. That that's more than some teams have wins. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not complaining by any stretch of the imagination. I think that there's three prospects that you don't touch, and that is Volpe, that is Wells, and that is uh, Dominguez. Everyone else is up for grabs. I, I don't, you know, I think the the you know the future is right now, and I feel like they got to go for it all. I just want to hear what you think, Larry. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, one, hold on one thing. Andy. Yeah, yeah, hold go on ahead. Let me just ask you this. I'm listening. Uh, against Houston, are you concerned with the lack of run support that the Yankees have been able to go? They hit pretty much everybody, but they've had issues hitting Houston. Does that concern right. you, especially and, and going forward? Yes, and and they have you know they have Justin Verlander, who is <laughs> one of the best pitchers on the planet. And to be honest, after Verlander, I'm not I'm not concerned. I know Garcia, you know, with the with the bullpen, no hit us. But that could have happened to any against any team, Larry. It yep. it hasn't happened in 19 years. They haven't been ninth, uh, in, no hit in 19 years. You know, so that that's going to happen. You're going to have those one or two games where you you know lull off a little bit, like they had against the Pirates. You know, the Pirates aren't a good team by any stretch of the imagination. But you know, we lost to them, and they they swept uh, the Pirates swept LA in in LA. Mm-hmm. So you know, good teams are going to go through rough stretches and i think that was a rough stretch for us but have we had many of them this year i don't think so <laughs> no you know? not really all right anthony thank no. you thank you for the phone Thanks. call you know and, and he's on he's a even killed yankee fan so it was good to hear what he's got to say uh yeah i agree with you it's you if you can get benintendi you bring him on as soon as you can because he's an upgrade average wise as one of the callers corrected me earlier he is hitting over 300 uh, and defensively, he's solid too. And he's a contact guy. So, which unfortunately, Joey Gallo isn't. And I get it. It was you had to do something at the trade deadline last year. You rolled the dice. You thought you needed another left handed bat. You got, you brought two left handers in there. Rizzo has, you know, maybe the average you expected a little bit more from him, but he's delivered for you. He's, Tremendous at first base. So you got a, a great defensive player there. All right, so you're happy with that. And he's done well with the stick a little bit. Give you a little power this year, which he didn't give you last year. So that trade was good. And you re-signed him. That's good. This, the Gallo thing, yeah, it's, if you're a Yankee fan, you're annoyed. You're like, why are we still dealing with this guy? Why is this guy still here? And the reason why he's still here is because, <laughs> like you, <laughs> who wants him? Why, if you're if, if you're uh, if you're Kansas City right now, you're like, why do we want why do we want Joey Gallo? <laughs> we want Joey Gallo for what particular reason? And the reason why is because that's why the uh, prospects have to be really good. So I would think, Anthony, one of the players that. Uh, Kansas City wants is probably one of the untouchables that you don't want to give up. 
So the question becomes for the Yankees, what else do they have to do to supplement that deal to get that deal done? Because that deal, you need to make that deal. You need to make that deal. That is a deal that really locks you in. It takes you up another notch. It does. So if you've got the opportunity to do that, you got to make that deal. Got to make that deal. Eli's in Washington Town, Washingtonville. I'm sorry, Eli. You're next on 98.7. Hey, Eli, I was going on. Listen, man, you need to speak to your, your boy Gordon. Me and him were Why? at war. This- Oh, come on. I don't know, man. Eli, what is going on? You and Gordon always get that. So what else is new? You guys always go to war. What's different this week? I I know, but I think his his head got too big this uh, this week that he was out on the Michael K show. So Uh. he needs to, to, like, simmer down a little bit. He got to kind of just. All right. Well, Eli, Eli, Gordon Uh, and I are working tomorrow night from 7 to 10. Feel free to call, and we'll see what we can mediate. How about that? <laughs> Definitely. Well, maybe you can help me out a little bit. Listen, All right, let's see what let's see I mean, what I can do. All right, well, he keeps on calling this Yankee season, right? A magical season. Who's this? That's one. Uh, Gordon. Okay. Now, what I'm trying to argue is, and what I, my point was, you can't call something magical unless it's over with, and then you call it magical. Like, for example, the the Patriots. That went, they went. They went through that undefeated season, and they lost to the Giants in the Super Bowl. They're not calling that season magical. But the during the se- but during the season, Eli, they were calling it magical because they had lost. So it's magical to them until I understand what you're saying. But to Gordon and to the New England Patriots, not to Bill Belichick, but to but to the New England Patriot fans, it was a magical season because. Nobody was beating them, and they looked unbeatable. So you're okay. you're, you're in the you're in the but, moment. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But like I said, you can't like the the the, the Golden State Warriors that won 73 games. Mm-hmm. They didn't call that season magical when they lost to the Cavs. You know, but it was magical. But Eli, it was magical when they were en route to winning the 73 games because nobody had done it, and they won more than the Bulls, who were 72 and 10. <laughs> So it was magical at the moment. We're just having semantics with with, with the word magical. I understand. Listen, Eli, I'm not disagreeing with you. I understand Uh what you're saying. But I'm saying to you as a fan, some fans are looking at a season, Eli, 37 games over 500, that's pretty good. That's And the way you're winning, that's you might say that's magical because of how you're dominating in in the moment. Okay, in the moment. Right. Now, at the end of the season, then you, like what you're saying, you look back, you say, you know what? It was a magical regular season, <laughs> but the postseason, if it turns out, if you don't win it, the postseason didn't turn out the way we thought it was. However, some people would say, you know, it was a magical season until, man, we lost game seven of the World Series. We went as far as we could. Maybe it's that way. So we're not sure how it's going to turn out. So, Eli? As a Yankee fan, enjoy the ride for right now. Just All right, enjoy I didn't enjoy it. getting no hit. By, I didn't enjoy it getting happens. no hit by the Astros. Ha- <laughs> I know you didn't enjoy that, but 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 here's but here's the thing: you did enjoy it. Your team bounced back and won two and split that series. That's true, but listen. Okay, so you know, right. listen, you bounced back and you split that series after being the and that's a fluke. Five people no hit. I mean, listen, as a Mets fan, 
We had a five pitcher no hitter. <laughs> so what? It doesn't mean it, it. It's not the same. I need look. Listen, tomorrow night, if Scherzer no hits Atlanta by himself, that's a no hitter. If I got four of the guys to come in, that's not really a no hitter. That, that's a no hitter with an asterisk, Eli. <laughs> And, and guess what? And that's not magical either. <laughs> five, a five-man no-hitter is not magical, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. 1-800-919-3776. Also on Twitter, at Hardesty ESPN at ESPNNY, 98 underscore 7 FM. Let's go back to um, yesterday's game with the Mets. And listen, you know, I used to, I used to listen to these discussions when Don LaGreca and Greg Buttle were doing the Jets pregame. And much like me, Don would use the phrase, which is a common phrase in sports, trap game. Okay, where you play a team you should beat before a team that is much better in caliber, first place in your division, something of that nature. And Greg Buttle would always argue, there's no such thing as a trap game. There's no such thing as a trap game. Okay, so uh, for me, for me, uh, I thought yesterday was this series was a trap series for the Mets to play Miami before they meet Atlanta. So I'm going to take you to Brandon Nimmo and Brandon Nimmo was asked, was there any pressure to win on Keats day, which is kind of a trap, also a trap situation against the Marlins. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, I mean, you'd love to, you know, a sellout crowd. Um, and, and, you know, obviously with the ceremony, the beautiful ceremony we had before, uh, yeah, you, you want to be able to um, win on that day, you know, and, and show the fans, you know, why they came out and uh, that this team, you know, Keith even mentioned us in, in his speech and, you know, you wanted to um, prove him right and say this is a team to be reckoned with, you know, so um, – so yeah, definitely wanted to wanted to try and pull this one out, uh, especially with what went on beforehand. We'll discuss Mets Atlanta next on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Time to talk a little baseball with my next guest. Now I'm going to show you his versatility because when last you heard him, you heard him talking like this. Back to school. He was wearing my Harvard tie. Can you believe it? My Harvard tie. Like, oh, sure. He went to Harvard. What's your assignment? Kill the quarterback. You drop a pass, you run a mile. You miss a blocking assignment, you run a mile. You fumble the football, and I will break my foot off in your John Brown hind parts. And then you will run a mile. It's time to go back to school with Trevor Scales on ESPN New York tonight. Oh, those were the days when we talked a little college football with the young man who played in the National Football League for the, you know, Atlanta Falcons, but now he's got a new job. He is now the host of Braves and Hawks Live on Valley Sports South, and if they if they allowed them to do a football pregame, he would talk Falcons too. He is Trevor Scales, and we welcome him here to 98.7 ESPN. Hey, partner, welcome back. Congratulations. My goodness. It's been entirely too long, Mr. Hardison. <laughs> I appreciate you having me so much. Thoroughly appreciate it. <laughs> so um, I got to tell you, because I, I have the baseball package, right? So I'm scrolling around. It had to be like maybe a month or so ago while Atlanta's winning, <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out why as a Mets fan. And I'm scrolling around, and I'm looking for pregame, 
And I see you sitting there, you know, big money, you know, suited, <laughs> suited and booted and, uh, you know, handling your business. And I said, I got to talk to Trevor Scales again, especially now with Atlanta and the Mets going head to head starting tomorrow night in Atlanta. So, Trevor, kind of take me back. What, what started this win streak with Atlanta? Figuring it out, Larry. I, I think you watched that team up and down the lineup. There were guys that were nowhere near their potential as far as offensively, and then there were blunders happening defensively that were far from characteristic. And I think once those things got put together offensively, the pitching was always there, especially from the bullpen standpoint. There was a void in the fifth man in the rotation. Spencer Schrader had slid into that role beautifully. But I think it was just a matter of, like, look, you guys won a world championship last season. Matter of them just playing to the level of ball that they're perfectly capable of playing. So once those things just sort of clicked, it's a it's a bit of a cliche and lame way to say it, but it, it frankly was just them finally figuring it out. What what has and listen? I thought the loss of Freddie Freeman was really going to hurt mm -hmm. Atlanta's ball club, and they got off to the slow start. So I kind of felt good with my thought process. But apparently, Matt Olson has more than more than fulfilled the departed Freddie Freeman. So I got two questions for you. Tell me about what Matt Olson has done, and what was the response when Freddie Freeman fired his agent and told him he didn't know the information, otherwise he'd have stayed in Atlanta. <laughs> Listen, it, it 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 was so sad to see Freddie Freeman depart. Right, like everybody missed him from a fan standpoint, of course, and you hear the reports from the clubhouse and how valuable he was there. Then he comes back and he, he sheds tears immediately, right? Like having set foot on the grounds of Truist Park, the man was just a waterworks of emotion and understandably so because he was a guy that spent his entire professional career baseball while in that organization. He was missed without question. The fan base was welcoming him back with open arms and to kind of see it all play out the way it did with him firing his agent. Kind of, you know, when when you and your significant other may part ways, right? You always look for who won the breakup. Braves kind of feel like they want to break up. If they don't feel as bad about the departure of Freddie Freeman, then maybe Freddie Freeman feels about having left the city of Atlanta. That leads us right into the story of Matt Olson, who replaces him at first base, is fantastic. Uh-oh. That's not good. All right, we'll try to reconnect with Trevor, Trevor as we lost his, uh, lost his, uh, lost his cell site. Uh, but that that was fascinating to hear. That was amazing to hear Freddie Freeman talk about, you know, how his agent didn't give him the final information. And had he given him that information, he would have never left Atlanta to sign with the Dodgers. And, uh, you know, obviously he fired him for that reason. And if you're the Dodgers, you're just like, oh, boy, we we dodged the bullet. No pun intended, because, uh, you know, listen, he was a big pickup for the Dodgers. All right, Trevor, you're back. Finish your conversation, my friend. My apologies for dropping out. I'm not entirely certain what happened there, but in any case, I don't know where we left off, but specifically regarding the replacement that is Matt Olson, Matt Olson. leading the major league, leading the major league in doubles, uh, finding a way offensively to sort of. He's still tinkering his swing too. Like we have heard reports from down in the clubhouse saying that he he hasn't quite hit the stride that he wants to hit. And from his numbers in Oakland just last season, there is still some room for him to improve. Uh, so, But the fact that he hit the ground running is going to be like the biggest plus for not only him, but every member of the Atlanta fan base as well. It's kind of easing the pain of Freddie Freeman's departure. 
That's the voice of Trevor Scales. He is uh, not doing after school with us. There's no question about that. He has moved on. He is now the host of Braves and Hawks Live on Valley Sports South. Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Uh, before I get to Ronald Acuna Jr., you're going to find this weird that I'm going to say this, Trevor. But as a Met fan, not as the broadcaster, okay? I'm opening up to you, Trevor. As a Met fan, you know who really concerns me in this lineup? Travis Darno. Who's that? Who seems oh, to yeah. love battling his former team? I'm I'm a little concerned about him in this three in this three game series coming up. You, you got to be concerned not only with him as the starting catcher, but also his backup, William Contreras, who also has a bat that is out of this world. That apparently just they those two lead the major leagues in RBI as a catching unit. So like you have a problem within that lineup when it comes to Darno being able to just put the ball in play constantly and consistently put pressure on you, and then. While Bill Contreras has all kinds of power out to right field, hitting shots opposite field that really will impress you. So it's it's twofold. I don't mean to kind of pour it on, but you got a couple guys that you got to worry about. <laughs> if Travis decides to take a day off in this series, you only got a guy that's batting a ridiculous amount of slugging uh, stepping right into the fold to replace him. All right, I've, I've delayed as long as I can. Let's talk about Ronald Lacuna Jr. And he was a guy that was missed last year. There's no question about it. He and he's he's come back and listen, he's a difference maker, Trevor. There's no question about it. Yeah, look, him being at the top of the lineup gives you so much flexibility. And like you talk about the depth of this Atlanta lineup, one through nine, it doesn't feel like a pitcher has a relief spot. Like they, he can't look at anybody and say, okay, let's pitch around this person to get to this person in the lineup. No, because Michael Harris the second, even down at the bottom of the lineup, the guy that joined the roster on May 28th is feeding Ronald Acuna because he gets on base and Ronald Acuna has the power. We all know his athletic ability as well to just bring everybody in that finds himself on base at the bottom of that lineup. So what Ronald does, not only from that standpoint as the leadoff batter, but then defensively. And again, Michael Harris, the second steps in to help him out there because Michael Harris, the second being in center field allows Ronald to just patrol that right field side of things solo and not have to worry about much. And you talk about that injury that he's coming back from. He doesn't have to be as concerned with patrolling center and right field because he has that comfort that Michael Harris second will take care of him there. And it's just one less thing for him to worry about as he is trying to continue his road back to recovery from that ACL. So before we get to the starters and the matchups in this coming series with the Mets, Trevor, what has been the talk about the Mets from Atlanta? Because it's funny to me, we were just talking before the break about how, you know, this theory of traps, trap games and trap series, more trap games in the NFL. Like you're playing, you know, you've got Mm -hmm. a lousy team before you're facing the the conference champion or former conference champion or first place in your division. Mm -hmm. Both these teams ended up with teams that they should easily beat, right? The Mets have the Marlins and you guys have Washington. Yep. Right before you face Atlanta, right before Atlanta faces the Mets. So what's been the conversation with in Atlanta's clubhouse about the Mets and what they've been able to do so far? Oh, dude, it, it's it's scary watching them in the start that they got out to, not to mention the fact that you all were injured a majority of this run that you've been able to put together, right? Like, we've had our fair share of injuries as well, but it's nothing to, to – it, it pales in comparison when you look at what you all have had to do in jumbling your starting rotation. You get Max Scherzer back at just the right time to take on this Atlanta team, and that's something that we're all excited to see, frankly. Like, it's it's one of those good-on-good matchups that you circle on the calendar – and and know that it has quite a bit to do 
with what could play out as far as this NL East goes. And that's the most exciting part about it. But knowing that you all have what you have in the starting pitching rotation and now it's going to line up as far as how it uh, plays out for our end as well because you're getting Max Reed uh, and Spencer Strider right out of the gate for us knowing that we're facing Max Scherzer uh, to start off the series on y'all's end. It's exciting. Uh, and I think we know what this uh, Mets team is fully capable of, and it's one of those litmus tests as we get into this halfway point of the season to kind of tell you, okay, where can this division go and who has control of it going into this back half of the 2022 MLB season. The the Tuesday, obviously, all, the marquee matchup is Freed and Scherzer. I get it. But for me, the intriguing matchups are Tuesday and Wednesday. Because Peterson has been a left, he's a lefty who's had trouble for most of the season going past five innings. He's had a couple of starts mm-hmm. of late where he's been really good. Uh, and then Bassett was unbelievable to start. He's been shaky of late. So, uh, from a mm-hmm. Met standpoint, I'm a little curious to see how Peterson and Bassett uh, fare in this battle. And on the other side, you know, listen. I've seen in covering the Mets and covering the Mets and Yankees. I've seen Charlie Morton a lot, and I know Charlie Morton is one of those guys who comes up. He, he's one of those. He, he's the crafty. He's the crafty righty. Like we talk about soft tossing lefties and all the other stuff. He's the guy that you may get one bad inning. You better take advantage of it because when he settles down, he, it's, it's the one bad inning, and then you wonder, well, what happened? How come we lost this game? Yeah, and talking to one of a couple of my analysts, frankly, about Charlie Morton, what really makes him the pitcher that he is, as long as he can get his fastball located, everything plays off of that. You talk about that craftiness that comes from the breaking ball that he's able to throw. It's all based upon the tunneling of that with the fastball. So as mo- the moment it leaves his hand, it looks like that fastball, and then it drops off of the shelf, and you're stuck swinging and tearing a lap nearly because you're swinging out of your shoes. This is what that veteran matchup sort of poses as we get into the deeper part of that series, as you mentioned. Yeah, the highlights are going to be driven from the season, the series opener and Max against Max. But when you really get to sit down and enjoy this is going to be when you see the, the strategic uh, uh, moves made by managers when you get into those Tuesday and Wednesday matchups uh, between uh, Charlie and, and the opposing pitcher and Spencer Strider on our side. Uh, in the opposing pitcher. So, no, I, I think this plays out really well as far as what fans can expect to see as far as the October portion of this NL East race goes. I got a couple more for you, Trevor, because I'm, I'm really I'm really trying to get ready for this series. I'm really trying to get ready for, the, for, for, for this for battle nah. here. You know? um, I see a stat, and I've been in, in doing preparation for this series. Atlanta, uh, 11-3 and when the starter goes at least seven innings. They've gotten four. They're they they've gotten seven innings from from their start in four of the nine games so far this month. Does that? How's the bullpen? And and is that a scenario where you really it benefits you to get seven innings from the starter because it contracts what you're able to do with your pen? Bullpen's working back into form. Uh, Kenley Jansen went on the 15 days DL with a. Uh, heart palpitation. This is something that he's dealt with his entire career. Uh, and then Tyler Magic was on the extended DA for about, I want to say, six weeks dealing with shoulder inflammation. Those are two guys that are going to really bolster this bullpen if they are able to ground into form. Like Kenley's scheduled to come back right on time with this Mets series uh, to make his re-debut uh, to close things out for the Braves. 
I do appreciate the depth that these starters have been able to go. And there's one of those starts that you mentioned as far as uh, most of the games being able to get covered by at least seven innings. Kyle Wright's a guy that, like, would have gone further into the game had a two-and-a-half-hour rain delay not occurred. So, like, mm. the, the starters are really carrying their water for this Atlanta team right now, and it only keeps those bullpen guys fresh. Not to mention, though there are the guys that you know are going to close in your uh, high-leverage moments in Tyler Matzik and Kenley Jansen uh, and those of the like, they have had guys like Jesse Chavez step up, Colin McHugh step up, Darren O'Day, and it's any given night, these guys aren't locked into a sixth or uh, multiple inning or even eighth inning. Or, or Everybody's able to just kind of switch roles and go out there whenever they're needed. That's like the beauty of the bullpen lately. Do I know that that is going to carry on as you face the better teams within Major League Baseball? Not entirely certain. But they have been able to get that so that their other top-notch, high-leverage bullpen guys have been able to rest and be ready to go when they are called upon. Uh, last thing, Trevor. Um, you miss college football at all? Oh, man, so much. So much. <laughs> like, I, I feel it. It's still a twisted pleasure that I have, man. Like, I'm still watching these conference realignments happen, and, and I'm shaking up, and I'm still excited for the season. It, it, it's a whole mess of stuff happening in that space that I just cannot wait to get my hands on, even if it is just from a fan standpoint. <laughs> all the switching. Who's going where and pack what? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I wake up and three teams have left the Pac-12 every day, it feels like. I'm not down sure we're going to have much of a conference. It's, it's building up. It's basically like an AFC and NFC of, uh, of top-tier college football and everybody else outside of that. It is, uh, it, it's, it's tragic because of how regional college football usually feels, right? Mm. Like the idea that USC typically doesn't play a Big Ten team outside of the Rose Bowl loses its luster when they're going to inevitably play a schedule full of Midwest teams throughout the calendar year. Now, there is a, a draw to the idea of always getting that game on your schedule, uh, but it does take away from that regional and familial uh, nature of what is college football. He's mm, mm, mm. Scales. I, you can watch him. It's okay. Maybe maybe you, just to see what, what's going on with Atlanta. So if you got the baseball package, check him out. He's on the Valley Sports South. And, you know, it, it's really hard, Trevor, because you're, you know, you, you're part of these another team in the Hawks that Nick fans aren't really happy to see, uh, you know, <laughs> either. But listen, my friend, thanks for a couple of minutes. Keep up the great work. Congratulations on the new gig. You are outstanding. And keep it up, my friend. A pleasure, as always, Mr. Hardesty. I appreciate the day ones that I've had since my days up there at 98.7 FM, sitting alongside doing a little updates on the top and bottom of every hour, man. Yeah. So, now, trust and believe that I still got a little bit of love for the for the city of New York, as always. I always will. They held me down for six months of my life, and uh, I appreciate the time, as always. Unless we're playing in Atlanta. <laughs> That's it. That's pretty much all it is. <laughs> All right, Trevor, thanks. Enjoy the series, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thank you, man. Y'all too. All right. Trevor Scales, host of Braves and Hawks Live on Valley Sports South. All right, kind of gave you a sneak peek as to what we can expect from the Atlanta Braves. What do you think? Go to the phones. Artie is in Brooklyn. Artie, what's happening, my friend? Larry, Larry, you're the best. How's everything? Thanks for taking this call. My pleasure, I'm sitting here being a Nick Jet Met fan, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems like my all three teams have this in common. 
just make the playoffs and we're happy. Mm-hmm. I, I just got that. And then and then I hear and then I hear these Yankee fans. They have the best record and stuff like that. And they, all they're complaining about is freaking Joey Gallo who's batting ninth in the in the lineup. Mm-hmm. And it all comes down to: Do you have faith in the ownership to make the right move? Because you name me a team that won the championship and did not make a move at the at the deadline. Name me one. You you, you won't find it. No, you can make all these predictions. The Yankees are going to win the World Series and stuff like that. They're not going to play the same team. Let me give you an example. Uh, it's not going to happen. But if Houston goes out there and grabs, what's his name, Correa from the mm-hmm. Twins, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That makes a difference. Sure. It's who makes the move. The Braves, they didn't make a big splash, but they made the right move, right? Do you have enough faith? As a Mets fan, in this GM, okay, he made some good moves, but he also made some bad moves. You have faith that he's going to make that move at the deadline. We have the money for it, but I don't even know if he thinks like that. He's sitting there trying to get the Escobars and the Bassets and stuff like that when there's big-time guys out there ready to be had. And I think if you gave me a choice between the Dodgers, the Braves, and the Mets, to make the big splash, who are you taking, Larry? Well, normally, Artie, I would say it would either be the Dodgers or Atlanta. But my faith is not so much in Epler as it is in Cohen. And so I think that Cohen, Cohen. is a guy, the owner. Larry is a Cohen guy, is a fan like me and you. I what know. does he know? What but does he know? He, he's a fan like, like we are, but he knows from having been in the game that his team has been a team that's underachieved. And he put the message, he put the pressure on himself to say, I want a World Series in three years. Well, guess what? He's going to put the pressure on his guy to go out and find the bat that the team needs to find the lefty pitcher, reliever, or maybe another starter. I mean, I don't, here's the other thing, Artie. I don't even know what this team needs exactly yet because what? I'm still, I'm okay. still trying to figure out, you, I'm still trying to figure out what, what, whether DeGrom is going to be able to go or not. I don't know. I don't know. The, the, I might Larry, need another starter. The, I know. But out of the three, starting pitching, starting pitching, relief, and hitting. Relief and hitting is a priority for this Absolutely. team. Absolutely. Okay? No question. If the Yankees go out there and get up ace and have Cole as the number two, I have more faith in Cashman going out there and making that move for a big-time starter. Better than Cole. He'll pay the money for it. Because they're going to have to go for it. And the last thing on the Knicks, mm-hmm. you know, fine, we didn't get LeBron, we didn't get Durant, we didn't get – but for the rumors of Riley to get Donovan Mitchell. I know, I know. I mean, come on. I know, You're Artie. killing me. Make the move and bring him here. All right, thanks, Larry. All right, I Artie, thanks for the phone call. Artie's so passionate. I love him. But, Artie, here's the thing. And I said this as soon as it happened. And people, oh, you know, he's coming here. He's going, uh, Pat Riley, be, be careful of Miami. I'm just saying. It doesn't mean they're going to definitely get him. It's not what it means. Just be careful of Miami. That's all I'm saying. Just be careful. Because I could see, because here's the thing. They have more to offer than the Knicks. I know the Knicks have these, these draft choices and everything and whatnot. And and that might be something that 
you know, would peak uh, Utah. And I, I know Allen and um, Jay Will were talking about it. I know Allen's a big spider guy. He likes Donovan Mitchell. And I know many of you are not big spider guys in Mitchell because of the way he played in Utah because of certain things. It's clear that he kind of wants to be, it's almost clear that he kind of wants to be around here because he keeps saying, you know, he keeps popping up <laughs> in different functions here, especially during the playoffs and everything with the Rangers. Spent a couple of Met games. I, I don't believe, this is just me, I don't believe the Met, that the Knicks have enough to give up for him. I just don't believe it. I don't believe Miami could have could offer more talent on the roster right now, okay, than what uh, the Knicks can offer. It's fact; they can offer more on the ro- on their roster right now than the Knicks can. So that's going to be the stumbling block there, okay? That's going to be the issue. And yeah, I could see it, Artie. I could see where Pat Riley would get the Knicks again. I, this, since Artie made the phone call, this it, it piqued my interest. Because once again, I'm torn. I'm torn, ladies and gentlemen, because I kind of like the idea of having unprotected first-round picks for yourself, right? Now, here's the question. If you're telling me that well let me go back for a second what did nick fans always complain about the fact that we always mortgaged our future we always traded first round picks for veterans and they didn't perform when they got here and we wasted we traded our future away and blah 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 and all this other stuff and the list of failed deals are endless that we could talk about i'm not even going to do that it's too beautiful a sunday to do that so on the one hand I hear what Jay Will and Han are saying, and 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 I kind of agree that you, because when you look at the track record of who you have drafted with your picks, the question becomes: Are you more? Do you have more faith in your scouting group to give you that? foundational player that you build your team around that foundational that that maybe Zion will be maybe LeBron not maybe but what LeBron was what Kevin Durant was what Kyrie Irving was when they came out in the draft are you are you confident your front office your scouting group can find that person that changes the direction of your franchise is can they find that person now rj barrett may become that person but up until now they have not done that in i guess since ewing right so in that scenario does it make sense for you to trade your unprotected first-round picks for Donovan Mitchell. Does that make sense? Under that scenario, that you just do not have 
the you do not have the the confidence in your scouting staff that they will find that player for you. That you have not since Ewing, but not been able, despite how bad your record has been, despite how incompetent the team has looked, you have still not been able to get the number one overall pick since Patrick Ewing in 85. As bad as you've been, your records have been horrible. And you still have not been able to get the number one overall pick. So under that scenario, maybe maybe it makes sense for you to take your your unprotected picks and trade them. Maybe not for Donovan Mitchell, but then for who? As Han asked, or Jay Will asked. Who is that player you're looking for? Who is that guy that you believe is a player that will the three undrafted unprotected draft choices, number one and flip a number one. So that's really four. And I would think you're going to have to give a player to make that move, to bring somebody here. Who's that going to be? If it's not Donovan Mitchell, I'm not ready to say that it's Donovan Mitchell. I like Donovan Mitchell, but I'm not ready to say that he's the guy that's going to come here and immediately, immediately change things. I don't know. It's not easy to play in New York. It's even harder when you're from New York to come back and play in New York. Okay? The distractions are endless. (laughs) And as many people have said, uh, the Nick uniform is a heavy uniform. It's heavy. The, the, the weight of expectation, the fact that the team has not won a championship since 73, 73-74 season, it's, 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 it's a heavy responsibility to try to win. Heavy. It's weighed down a number of players. Wore down Carmelo Anthony. Wore down Amari Stoudemire. Wore down a bunch of other players trying to come here. And yes, the Knicks have had trouble in combining talents of players, right? To have multiple talented players on a roster at one time. That has been an issue for them. There's no question about it. It's been an issue. Is Donovan Mitchell that right choice? I know there's a bunch of you who think no. I'm not sure. But what I am sure is if you're giving up unprotected first-round picks, if you're giving up unprotected first-round picks, you better be sure that who you get is the right person because you can't afford to, you can't afford to mortgage your future on a mistake. Because I guarantee if you give up one of those first round picks and you and you're in a bad season, that's the time you'll get the number one overall pick. That's the time you'll be <laughs> that's the time that you'll win the ping pong ball and be number one. That would be the time. That would be the time. That's Nick Luck. We'll continue the conversation next on 987 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show. On 98.7 
ESPN. Let's head out to Las Vegas, Nevada. That's where Rod Boone from the Charlotte Observer is out there watching some of the young players in the summer league. Rod, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. How you doing today, Larry? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, first of all, I know you're watching summer league and these young players, but I'm sure there's been an interesting conversation as to what's going to happen, who's going to move with Durant, what's happening with Kyrie Irving. What what's the what's the scuttlebutt that you're hearing out there about these possibility moves and stuff? Well, it's still as uh, kind of status quo right now, Larry. It's one of those things where um, obviously a lot of executives out here in the league and, and decision makers, it, it could be a little bit easier to at some point get some traction on a deal. Um, but from everything you're hearing, you know, these teams are trying to not bid against themselves per se because um, they know obviously Durant wants to leave. So you don't want to essentially just gut your whole team for him. Um, you, you want to be able to bring him in if you can, but it's just going to depend on – Exactly, um, a couple other moves out there. Obviously, DeAndre Ayton is one of them. You know, he's one of the top free agents out there. Um, and, and obviously, you know, he's an RFA. You know, he still can get an offer sheet um, signed potentially. So, until it seems like Durant, um, you know, this whole Durant situation kind of gets a little bit more figured out, it's going to be kind of something that's going to be murky in the NBA until, you know, teams can kind of decipher exactly what not to go out there and pick their, basically their roster down to try to get him if he wants to come there. Yeah, and that's a tricky situation because, you know, not saying he's 40 years old, Rod, but, you know, with the injury and everything, you have to be careful to see, and he's missed some time last year. Look, there's no questioning his talent, but you got to be careful that you surround him with the right amount of folks and depth that he can be, you know, in addition to your team. Absolutely. That's the main thing is, you know, he's obviously uh, one of uh, the best, if not the best player in the game. Uh, and as you mentioned, even though he's getting a little bit older, he still can win your championship. But at the same time, you have to be able to surround him with enough talent. And if you gut your roster and don't have the pieces around him to be able to get to the playoffs and, and beyond, then what are you really doing? So it's something that obviously each team is, is weighing. And, again, depends on um, what the Nets want to do. Because even though Durant says he wants to go to a couple different places, potentially on top of his list, ultimately it's you know Sean Marks and what he wants to, to, to send him to because – if you're um, executive, it's basically your job to get the best deal you can um, for whatever talented player you have. So if you don't bring back the appropriate haul, and that's one thing too we saw with the Rudy Gobert trade, just how much um, that landed uh, Utah. Um, you know, that's going to want at least that and more to bring in Durant if that's what you want to do. And for me, as I just told the audience, right, I'm not, I'm not sending him anywhere in the East. He's going out west. <laughs> I don't want to see him. <laughs> I don't want to see him. <laughs> Well, you know what? Uh, that's one thing that, be, again, if you're a GM, you definitely don't want to see him. And, and sitting to the Westwoods, it's going to be harder for him to be able to get through all these different teams, like the Warriors, et cetera. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to just see how it all shakes out, Larry, because from the moment it kind of happened in terms of the news drop right before free agency began, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it just kind of seems like it's still been announcing this holding pattern because this is a bombshell. It's one of the best players in the game. And to be able to move him and get what you deserve in return for him is a big thing. It is. And then they also trying to move Kyrie. <laughs> so that's exactly that may, then that's going to be tougher. Yeah. Because, you know, obviously there's not very many teams out there who, um, you know, could first of all, take on that number of the salary. And second of all, the uncertainty, you know, we deal with the uncertainty around there and different things that you have going on um, with him and, whether he's going to play in certain games or, um, you know, 
vaccination status. It just it's just a, a something some teams don't obviously don't want to deal with. So you know, right now it seems like only one team out there who <laughs> wants to bring him in potentially the Lakers. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but you're right. It looks like Durant probably have to get moved first. Um, the first domino potentially before you see what happens with Kyrie. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, Rod, you've been out at the summer league now out there in Vegas. Uh, tell me, watching him up close, and, and that's going to be the tricky thing because you're looking at these rookies and second-year players, and you understand they were standouts in college. And my question to you is, before I go individually with certain players, how how when you talk to people in the front office, how do they rate the summer league? Because really – they're playing their peers. They're not playing the upper echelon players that they're mm-hmm. going to play in the NBA. So how do you judge how good their ceiling could be when the competition is really the same? I think what it really is, Larry, is you have to kind of, you know, be measured in your takes out here mm-hmm. in the because as you said, obviously they're playing um, against competition that's, that's better than it was in college, but it still isn't LeBron James. You're not playing against Kevin Durant. You're not playing against Jason Tatum and those guys who are going to um, be in the dogfights with you um, at the end of the game. So while that's not something you can evaluate right now, what you can look at is just the overall count of a person, a player, and just how they will fit potentially in your system. You know, you want to be able to get them out here get some terminology down, and just get them uh, playing ball again just see how they flow with their teammates because maybe you can find, um, you know, different uh, players out here as well who potentially kind of fell through the cracks. So it's a little bit, a little bit of both. You want to be able to not only see your top players um, in, in action and just see how they perform with the lights on and just what they can do um, situations that they may face in, this, in the regular season, but you also want to be able to kind of come mind for talent be able to put in your system, you know, whether it's D-League team or, or somebody you can get a two-way contract, that's also what some league is for. So it's kind of multifaceted um, out here, Larry. Again, you got to kind of pick it for what it is. It's Sometimes people think it's like a glorified AAU tournament, um, but it really is not. You know, you kind of can still get some evaluation done here in terms of just seeing how players react uh, when the lights are on, the crowd's cheering, and things like that. So it's been very interesting kind of to see the breakdown, but you definitely can evaluate properly, but again, you got to do it in the context because you're not playing against some of the top guys you're going to face in the NBA in the regular season. Hey, Rod, I don't need the summer league to tell me that Paolo Banchero is good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. You know, it's funny, Larry, uh, you know, the Hornets didn't play yesterday, so I was able to kind of just watch some games while I was doing some, some work, and I was actually there for the Magic um, Kings game, and just seeing um, you know, uh, him just, you know, you can see he's number one pick type of talent. He's just long, rangy. And the thing that I notice is he doesn't force plays. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I didn't watch him a lot in college. I got to see him a little bit more in the NBA. But from what I've seen, even the last play, I believe it was double overtime, sudden death, speculation, believe it or not, in the NBA, summer league. So basically first basket wins. And he had a chance to maybe force a shot they put the ball in his hands, but he basically made the pass to the right player to get an easy layup to win the game. So, to me, I agree with you. He's definitely a player. Um, I just said Holmgren. You know, some of my friends mm. who, you know, again, a lot of who cover different teams just wanted to go see him play yesterday because they haven't seen him play in person so far. So, um, another guy you want to keep your eye on Chet Holmgren because he can be a talented player in this league, especially if he puts on some weight in a couple of years. 
you know, I was curious to see how Jay Nivey was going to play. He was rumored, to, you know, the Knicks were trying to move up all all sorts of ways to try to get him in the draft. Uh, they weren't able to do so. He went to uh, Detroit. And, um, you know, he, I'm very curious to see how he's going to perform. Have you had a chance to see him? And what if you have, what have you seen and what have you heard about him? Well, actually, I've had a chance to watch a little bit of him yesterday when I was writing, again, um, you know, mm-hmm. my own stuff. Because essentially that game followed the Magic Kings game. And the one thing I do remember, I didn't have a chance to really see him do a lot of different things, but he did uh, tweak, I think, his, his, his foot or something like that. At one point, I remember just going to the scores table. He banged the table like in frustration, and he stayed in and took his free throws. Uh, but actually, at that point, after the, after the free throws were done, he kind of went out and finished the game. But earlier today, he tweeted that he's okay, um, which is good news for the Pistons, obviously, because he's one of your top draft picks you want him to be around. But mm-hmm. he can tell – I mean, he's definitely going to be a player too, Larry, because you know, just from everything you, you see around here and, and people who have watched him so far, he has that ability to be, you know, a, a good scorer and playmaker in him. So, um, the Pistons got a good one. They had a good draft. They're obviously also really able to get, um, you know, Jalen Durant. So it's one of those things where they got a got a good one-two punch there. And seeing Jaden Ivey, you know, you can tell he's going to be somebody to keep an eye on the short this season because. The top couple of picks, Larry, you mentioned, you know, um, you know, Ben Carroll, we talked about Chet Holmgren. Some of those guys are kind of maybe even in terms of just um, their talent level. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see how they all fare this year, who wins rookie of the year um, coming up this season. And and the challenging thing, Rod, is for these great players are going to bad teams. <laughs> so, yes. you know, it's not a lot around them. So there's a lot of pressure on them to be franchise players and you know, going back to our Jet days, Rod, the question that we used to always ask those rookies were, you know, uh, because unfortunately we didn't have a lot of winning teams when we were covering them. <laughs> right. but, but the big question is, how do you deal with losing? Because you have lost. They will. These, some of these rookies are going to lose more games than they've lost in life. And how do you, you know, how do you adjust to that? And that's going to be the interesting thing that I know when they ask all these questions in the draft, you know, makeup and interview process and all the other stuff. That's something that, you know, you have to realize if you're a front office, how is this, how are these guys going to deal with adversity? You're right. And it's funny you mentioned the Jets because, you know, it's something that we don't think about. But the last time the Jets went to playoff, Larry, they were a playoff team was 20 what 12 <laughs> a decade or so ago and we were still both covering that team then so that shows you right there just how tough it is to win in pro sports so you're right it's more about um how you face adversity how you face those tough situations because it's easy to be on top easy to be smiling when you're winning everybody loves you but when you go through those tough times as you mentioned when you're losing when you're losing more than you probably ever did in your entire life how do you react and everybody's different some players um, feel okay with losing. They're just, you know, okay in life with the way things are with everything else off the court. And some players just hate losing, period. And you know that although it's out of their control, they got to be able to go out there and find a way to at least do their job every night so they can feel good about themselves. So it's, it's a double-edged sword out there. But you're right, you know, as a pro, facing adversity is something you have to basically be able to do well because those who – figure that out and able to kind of cut through the difficult times that you deal with as a pro, those are the players who are able to kind of win championships and kind of last and, and, and have long careers because they're able to kind of cut through all that stuff that's difficult throughout your career. Speaking of football, Rod, I can't have you on and not ask you just to get your thoughts on what the response has been in Charlotte at obtaining Baker Mayfield. Um, 
you know, I'm sure they just from hearing some of the comments last year, I know there were folks that were very uh, disillusioned with Sam Darnold, but for them now to have Baker Mayfield, what was the response like down in, in my mom's hometown? Well, it's funny because it's been really, be, I guess, mixed, if you want to put it that way. There are some fans who are kind of excited, and other fans are like, ah, you know, okay, he's, he's here, um, but I'm not really thrilled because he doesn't really do anything for me. So um, it's going to be interesting to kind of just see how he fares because, you know, he's obviously coming in here, um, you know, had to kind of, I guess, take a pay cut a little bit to kind of get some money in his incentives and his contract and different things with money. So at this point, now, for him, it's all about going out there and playing ball. And the first game of the year, obviously, against the Browns um, <laughs> in Charlotte. That'll be interesting, of course. You know, mm-hmm. So it's because the Makers knew that was going to happen potentially when they put that game together. Right, Larry? But Absolutely. just kind of seeing how he's, the reaction is to him so far has kind of been a mixed bag. Because if you, if you look at it, at the end of the day, it's all about competition in the, in the NFL and pro sports. You know, you mentioned Sam Darnold. He was the guy for them. They kept talking him up in minicamp and OTAs about, yeah, he's looked good and has the best practices ever and since he's been here and things like that. But then you go out there and play for Baker Mayfield. So it shows, once again, sometimes that, um, you know, coach speak and, and organizational speak is just that. It's just stuff to kind of just <laughs> put out there until you actually do what you want to do because they've been wanting Baker Mayfield, it seems like, for a while now. It's more about just numbers and the Browns taking, you know, some money out and, and vice versa. But at this point, he's going to be in Charlotte. He's going to have a year to kind of go out there and show people what he can do, the chip on his shoulder. And, you know, it should be interesting to see because, you know, the the, the Panthers, again, are kind of that, that little malaise right now. Mm-hmm. We haven't been a playoff team for a while. And Matt Rule, um, he's been on the hot seat <laughs> it seems like the last couple of years in Charlotte. <laughs> and people are still kind of – Wondering, honestly, how he's still there. James Durango, um doesn't have a job right now um, and got let go by the Hornets. So it's been a really bizarre offseason, Larry, in Charlotte. And uh, now that the NFL is getting ready to crank up in a couple of weeks here with Baker Mayfield, it's going to get even crazier. And, and just to follow up on that, Rob, what's even crazier is that Kenny Atkinson turned the Hornets' job down, which I was surprised. Uh, yeah, I was surprised, too. And, you know, it was one of those things where I literally had um, talked to somebody for a story um, and I was going to, you know, basically post him the next morning, um, you know, essentially to, to, you know, keep furthering what's happening, just what he brings to the table. And literally I was following the story um, and going over with an editor. <laughs> so the alert come through and I checked into it and couldn't believe it. Um, it, was, it, was, it was really bizarre. So I'm going to choose tough situation for everybody involved. You know, Kenny um, obviously felt something wasn't right with the situation and didn't want to, come to Charlotte, um, the Hornets obviously were not happy because they thought they had their guy. They went through the process of essentially about eight to nine weeks to kind of figure out who they were going to bring on board. Um, you know, Mitch Kupchak is a Long Island guy, as is Kenny Atkinson, so they kind of had a little bit of a rapport kind of going there. So both sides, um, you know, at the end of the day, didn't think it was the right fit. So the Hornets disappointed, but they moved on and got Steve Clifford. And Steve Clifford obviously um, was here previously for four years, uh, you know, before James Borrego, um, you know, got, got hired after they let Clifford go. So, again, <laughs> very bizarre offseason, Larry, really this year in Charlotte. So, uh, we'll see how it all shakes out. But, you know, the Kenny Atkinson thing was definitely um, not something that the Hornets saw coming and obviously not something that they're thrilled about. But they moved on quickly to get Steve Clifford, somebody you know very well. And uh, we'll see how it all shakes out for him in a couple of other months here. 
Rod, enjoy the summer league. We'll check back in with you to see how the how the young players are playing and take take it from Uncle Larry. Stay out of, stay out of the casinos. <laughs> Definitely, Larry. You won't lose your shirt out here. You know, one one day can can make for a long trip. So I got about four more days out here, man. I got to pace myself. So stay I have out the casinos the, just said. I'm staying out go, of them. When you right. go to the hotel for great dinners, great buffets, just go through the side exit. Don't go through. Don't go where you have to walk through the casino, and that's a challenge because you always have to walk through the casino. So just keep walking. Keep that's your right. eye focused on yeah, where the buffet is. <laughs> that's right. The people who build these buildings are smart, Larry. You can't get in the building without going through the casino, man. Here's those slot machines, man. See those car tables. You got to go. Got to go at some point, right? <laughs> you got to go through there, but you got to go with a burst. You got to go. And the air exactly. is so good. Even the air conditioner, for folks that haven't been in Vegas, they, they leave the air conditioner at highest by the door. So you walk by, it's like, boom, Absolutely. you're freezing. And to make you walk through the casino, you got to walk through the casino to get there. So, Rod, just got to do it with a burst, man. Got to do it with a burst. Keep your head down. That's head right, down. Larry. That's right. <laughs> right to the room. Right to the right room. To the room. <laughs> we'll talk soon, my friend. Thanks for a couple minutes. You got it, man. Anytime, Larry. All right, that's Rod Boone from the Charlotte Observer giving us his thoughts on what he's seen out in the uh, Summer League. Um, there's some very talented players out there. I, I was curious to, to get his thoughts on just speaking with front office types about what they look for, how they measure the talents in these players. Because once again, Yes, it's the it's in some cases, depending on where you went and the schedule you perform with, on some cases it's the next step above. Uh players are the next step above what you played in college. Yeah, not for Banchero, because he played with Duke and that, that ACC is a <laughs> pretty good schedule. Uh but you know, how does it work? So just curious about that. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on ninety eight point seven ESPN.